Welcome back to the second episode of Three Right Turns, uh, the officially official podcast for my political views. Uh, I'm your host, Aaron, and yeah, wow, what a great response to the first episode. Um, I had no idea what to expect when I started this thing, but I was very impressed by how many people downloaded the first episode. I got just tons and tons of feedback on it uh, at our subreddit over at Reddit dot com slash r slash swizzbold uh and our email uh three rt at swizzbold.com uh i was actually unprepared for the amount of really quality feedback i got which is uh, good news and bad news i mean the good news is it's self-evident i had a lot of people the vast majority of people really um excited and enthusiastic about uh, what i was trying to do here which is something i was nervous about like uh i i i, I made this show for an audience of me and I wasn't sure how many me's are out there or people that would be interested in, in something that is a pot, you know, political podcast for me. Uh, the bad news is that it's going to take a while for me to get around to it all, uh, especially some of these topics that people want me to talk about. will have to come uh, maybe a bit later when we have a good foundation laid. Um, there's actually some that wanted like advice on how to handle certain things like there's one really intriguing comment about you know how to be a good ally to various pe- people that I, may, maybe Cecily and I will try to t- uh, tackle on our uh, one weird trick podcast uh which the first episode of that came out last week if you want to check that out over at uh, uh swizzbold.com it's one weird trick um so yeah it's, it's going to take a while because I've just got a ton of feedback and some of these topics also might need to come a bit later after I have a foundation laid because I, I had in mind like a series of like initial podcasts that I wanted to get out there um, to kind of like fully form like a statement and kind of have a basis of where to, to go on some of these things, the things that are important to me uh, before I start shooting off in other tangents. But I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking like maybe uh, there's a, a some way to work that into the feedback and um, – I don't know, because I, I didn't know how it would go. I mean, my thought was I would do a couple podcasts. It would take a while for people to get feedback. Uh, it'd be about the podcast I made um, and uh, so far, and then there's be this progressive thing. But what actually happened was a lot of people took me up on my offer to try explain different viewpoints and points of view. And they're like, you know, since it's random from everybody and everybody's interested in different things, like there's no way to do a trans rights, socialism uh feminism uh how to be a good ally without raising our taxes and maintaining our personal freedoms response podcast to like all all the things i got so uh if you did send it i did read it all i responded to a lot of it and i'm going to get around to all these things um in good time a couple things i overlooked on the last episode um i forgot to kind of specify the schedule um i think i misspoke in one either the the promo podcast or intro podcast calling the the podcast uh semi-weekly it's actually bi-weekly um which is weird because i think like bi-weekly can mean every other week or twice a week and semi semi-weekly the one i said means definitely twice a week which is weird to me but the english language has always been somewhat of a stranger to me uh this is definitely an every other week schedule 
the schedule's also subject to change. Uh, we might do one a week as time permits, like when we have a slow part of the year and the TV movie schedule and I get a little free time from Bald Move, maybe we'll do more. Uh, I've also thought about this as maybe a, a seasonal podcast where we'd have a run and you know get to a nice uh, stopping place where I can kind of put this in storage for a few weeks, especially... You know, like like really like times like now when I'm doing already 10 podcasts a week over Bald Move, it'd be nice to get to a stopping point where I could pause on this. Um, that's something I've been kicking around. Uh, you know, 52 a week uh, podcast commitment is a lot. But, you know, if you can take a break here and there, that would be nice. Uh, I also kind of have a, a call to action, which is um, if you guys believe in this mission and you kind of want it to succeed and you want it to grow and, and, you know, get, uh, in front of other people, uh, please follow Swizzbold, uh, on Aaron Hubbard BM on twitter.com. Uh, I think the higher numbers we get, the more followers we have and more clout, uh, the more chance we'll have at getting people that I want to talk to on the podcast. Um, I think I can rely a little bit on the bald move thing. Like, Oh hey, yeah, I'm a host on bald move and it has X, you know, amount of Twitter followers and it's got X amount of downloads. Um, but I think if this network and if, if this show is going to survive and, and grow and thrive, it's going to have to escape beyond just the bald move audience It's going to have to like break out of that, you know, the, the, the shell of the followers that we've, that, that we've had. Uh, and if you guys care to, you can help us do that by, you know, rate all, all the stuff that, you know, we leaned on people in the very beginning of bald move, rate and reviewing the podcast, follow us on social media. Uh, I've also got some other plans on how I can kind of inject myself into other conversations. Um, but I could really use your help on that. Also, thanks for everybody that has already shared and passed around the podcast. I didn't even ask, and I had lots of retweets and lots of people sharing, and I really appreciate that because that's exactly uh, what we need to do here. Um, I was also unprepared for how many people have like exactly my life story. I like a half dozen apparent clones of me wrote in to say that my life was their life, which means there has to be like dozens of us. Uh, and I think it would be really cool if we could form some kind of coalition in the South and the Midwestern parts of the country or in rural areas of California and Washington. Cause it's, it's, I mean, that's the other thing I got is how kind of lonely it can feel when you are uh, like isolated and, and uh, alienated from your fellow countrymen uh, and the places as you, that you live. Um, you know, you still have those cultural ties. You still like to engage in the activities everybody engages, but there's this, there's this friction between us. I, I would love to be, uh, you know, a podcast where we can share tips on how to communicate with other like-minded people. Uh, because, yeah, one thing that kept coming up is that I do think the left uh, and, and the liberal movements in America does have something of an image problem. Uh, and that image turns off a lot of people like me. And it's, it's really super easy, especially online and leftist spaces, to walk in and think, holy shit, this is not a place for a straight white person to be. It feels hostile and unwelcoming, and I think there's something to that. I also think there is a like a language barrier, like the way people talk and needs a little bit of translation if you're unfamiliar with it, and I can I can help do both of those things. So anyway, so much feedback. Uh, I'm only going to have time to get to one at the end, and it's probably the least deserving uh, piece of feedback. But you know, we'll have lots of podcasts in the future to talk, and I want to get some more of uh, groundwork in. So in the last podcast introduction, I told the story of my past, 
And now I want to tell the story of my present and a vision I have for the future. I almost called this show Star Trek Republican. I thought it would be pretty funny. It'd be a nice nod to like my interest growing up and my political affiliations. And also, like I kept on noodling that like, you know, there's there's a reason that I've kind of turned out the way I, I have. Uh, I would also probably rope in a lot of Trek loving conservatives because they exist. I was one of them. Uh, but I thought, ah, hitching my wagon to another licensed property, meh. It makes selling merch tricky, if nothing else. You know, like uh, you start three right turns. I can throw that on a T-shirt, make 10, 15 bucks. Uh, I throw uh, Star Trek insignia uh, on, on a uniform with a Star Trek and Republican. I'm probably going to get sued by three different parties by the end of the week. Uh, so that sucks. But I think it is one of the theories I have about why it turned out the way it did. Because I, I think about that a lot. Like, how do you change minds? What kind of mind can be changed? What are the circumstances that lead to those kind of changes? And, you know, maybe this is self-serving, but I was always attracted to, like, heroic roles. And I've always kind of wanted to be a hero uh, and tried to see myself through a heroic lens. Um, some of my childhood heroes are Captain Picard. Uh, you know, he's an intellectual, he's a renaissance man. Sometimes it's almost laughably so. Like this guy who's like the commander of the flagship of the Federation, who's also an expert archaeologist, who also knows the works of Shakespeare uh, front and back. Uh, you know, this guy's quoting Shakespeare while he's punching a Ferengi, while he's wearing a tinfoil Speedo on the pleasure planet Ryza. Uh, what's there not to like? He's also a man who could command his crew and inspire loyalty, not out of fear, not out of fawning adoration or glad handing, but because he had integrity and he had respect and he had undeniable competence. And I thought that was the way to be a leader. Uh, I also let relect uh, the comic book character Wolverine. Excuse me, I'm Eric Lentra. Charles Xavier. Go fuck yourself. This is a man whose chief superpower is the ability to absorb a superhuman amount of pain and abuse, but would only allow the briefest glimpse of all that emotional roiling and toiling underneath the surface from behind his improbable facial hair and gritted teeth. Also really liked uh, Jack Ryan, uh, who is the masculine Mary Sue of the Tom Clancy fictional universe. You should never make important decisions while you're upset. You did. And American soldiers and innocent civilians are dead because of it. I never ordered no, any... don't even think about playing that game with me. I will not let you dishonor their memories by pretending you had nothing to do with it. How dare you come in here and lecture me? How dare you, sir? How dare you come into this office and bark at me like some little junkyard dog? I am the President of the United States! It gives me no pleasure to do it, sir. As Acting Deputy Director of Intelligence, it is my duty to report this matter to the Senate Oversight Committee. Jack Ryan is a man of action who served his country had his promising military career cut short by a training accident that nearly paralyzed him, taught himself to walk, left the service, made a pile of money in the private sector based on just raw intelligence and integrity. And he went and served his country again, uh, reluctantly, of course. He had a badass feminist wife who's one of the most gifted surgeons in America. He had moral clarity, unshakable faith in God, but with enough humility to be friends with openly gay politicians and respect the religious traditions and beliefs of Muslims and work with them. I could probably do a whole podcast episode for each of these guys and many more, and, and maybe I will. 
because uh, you know I, I go back and I roll my eyes a bit when I watch or read some of these heroes with more adult eyes and some things I used to admire I see as self-destructive or you know quote unquote toxic but also it kind of blows my mind that like especially Jack Ryan would probably be called a Republican in name only a rhino in today's Republican Party it's just it's just mind-blowing to me but all that's for another day because I want to talk about Picard now one of the ideas I had behind this Star Trek Republican idea was that I'd play a quote from an episode relevant to the topic I wanted to discuss. And there's so many. There's the one where Riker visits a planet where women are the dominant gender. There's the one where Riker falls in love with an androgynous, non-binary trans woman. I mean, shit, to be honest, half the podcasts were going to be lessons learned from Riker's love life. But uh, I was going to play a quote to start each episode and then kind of dive right into that topic. And... I'm going to do that right now. This is an alternate history where this podcast is called Star Trek Republican. You can say a lot of things about Picard, but one thing that always amused me as a teenager was the undeniable fact that Picard was a commie. Jean-Luc, if you please. A lot has changed in the past 300 years. People are no longer obsessed with the accumulation of things. We have eliminated hunger, want, the need for possessions. We've grown out of our infancy. You've got it all wrong. It has never been about possessions. It's about power. Power to do what? To control your life, your destiny. That kind of control is an illusion. There's no trace of my money. My office is gone. What will I do? How will I live? This is the 24th century. Material needs no longer exist. Then what's the challenge? The challenge, Mr. Offenhouse, is to improve yourself. To enrich yourself. Enjoy it. You know, back when I was a Christian, uh, scenes like this always gave me kind of a private chuckle. This Gene Roddenberry fellow... Boy, he could sure tell a story. Seemed like a decent guy, but what a deluded atheist he was. First, he believes in evolution. What a rube. And also, like we already talked about, apparently he's a uh, dirty commie. And I always thought the idea that Kirk and Picard could make some kind of socialist society where everyone was free and everything was free and people work for the betterment of themselves and their planet and indeed the whole galaxy. What a load of horseshit. Because uh, I believe that man was a fallen creature. It was created in God's image in a state of perfection, but had forever lost that ideal to sin and death, were it not for Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, of course, which gave us a path back to the light. In fact, let me read you a passage from the Bible. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to pretend like we're all good little Jehovah's Witnesses and turn to our Bible. Here the Apostle Paul is writing to the congregation in Thessalonica uh, in modern-day Greece, and he's talking about the end times. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and security, destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Ain't that something? Right when the no doubt deluded leaders of the world try to declare that they've achieved some kind of half-assed peace and security, that's exactly when Armageddon would come. I got a, I got a confession to make. Uh, 
now that I've kind of outed myself as an atheist, I always thought that was kind of mean-spirited of God. You know, some of the earliest trains of doubt I can think of uh, when I was a Christian was why was it that God decided to smack man down? Whenever they had tried to achieve the knowledge of good and bad, kick him out of the Garden of Eden. No more paradise for you. Where man tried to come together and make a great city, Babylon, a tower uh, of cooperation to reach the heavens. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You guys down there speaking one language and getting along as one? This ain't going to do. I better go down there and confuse your language so you can't work together and hate each other. And then here in the New Testament, uh, the prediction is that mankind finally gets it together enough to say, peace and security, we've achieved it, and bam! Now, to be fair, I think the idea here was that mankind couldn't achieve actual peace and security. I think, uh, you know, I was supposed to envision uh, all the world's Christians at this point in concentration camps or dead in mass graves, why the politicians and whores, which... Really, if you think about it, kind of the same thing. Bragged about how they could now practice their gay sex in peace. But regardless, this is why I thought the Star Trek Utopia stuff was bullshit. And my mom, of course, was quick to point out, you know, because oftentimes she was watching the episode with me. She liked to keep tabs on what I was uh, watching like a, like a good parent would. Uh, that in this universe, even in the 24th century still had war, still fighting with the Romulans and the Borg and the Klingons. They still had disease. Picard's hair was still falling out, still had old age, still had death. And there's no end in sight. It's not like, um, you know, the Federation was just on the, the, the cusp of eternal life, you know. But, you know, not, not in God's paradise. Uh, the Bible and its promises had even 24th century Federation life beat. And that seemed reasonable. I mean, I know... Several times, and even on the podcast, Jim and I have talked about maybe having robot bodies one day and downloading our consciousness into droids or some shit. But I got to say, uh, I'm 43 years old, and I think if that day ever comes, I'm pretty confident it's not going to come soon enough to save my ass. So there's this term that's thrown around a lot in leftist circles, uh, fully automated luxury space communism. Sometimes it's thrown around with like an aspirational idea. Sometimes it's with derision uh, about this perfect utopian dream of effortlessly living the good life without any kind of care or worry. Uh, and like I said, that's uh, it's a pipe dream. Never going to happen. And even if we achieved it, it's not as good as paradise. It's just it's a pipe dream. Never, ever, never, ever going to happen. And if we had the technology, we'd fuck it up. I mean, some asshole would take over and throw us all in gulags and he'd be infinity plus one rich as his reward. No, I thought it's better to harness our greed productively and, and keep us all in vicious competition. Uh, you know, that the, 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 that capitalism you're always hearing about in economics class and, and, and history class and social studies. It's, it's the only way to really keep us on our toes and keep everything on the up and up, right? Because you can't trust human nature. You can't do it. We're sinful creatures. We're fallen creatures. It's never, ever going to happen, even with rep matter replication. The funny thing is, though, as I slowly lost my faith in God, I increasingly saw the idea of living an immortal human life in paradise as the pipe dream. And that came with another realization. The story of humanity wasn't that of a perfect being that had fallen from grace. It's actually the story of animals striving together towards some sort of meaning and some sort of perfection that they can find on their own. And 
it hasn't been very long ago that rape and genocide were just a way of doing business. And I don't think we're quite out of that business, not by a long shot. But at least we're self-aware enough to feel bad about it, at least in a, in a lot of corners nowadays, and, and play lip service to trying really hard to never do it again. No more genocide. That was the last time. Swear, we promise. And I guess that's kind of my stance with the human race right now. I'm willing to accept what we're doing if we're willing to accept that we need to stop. And I think we're kind of in broad agreement, regardless of our political or religious feelings, that endless war, disease, famine, poverty, all these things are bad and we should look forward to a time, we would look forward to a time where they are greatly diminished, if not in fact abolished. But what do we do? What do we do? Because we all still have way too much of the animal left in us for truly global cooperation to work. But now I think, why not? Why couldn't we go full Star Trek communism? I mean, not right now. I don't think we're ready. Again, we got too much of that animal left in us. We got too much of this uh, 21st century guy unfrozen on the Enterprise wondering what the meaning of life is without his money in his office, right? I think we need some key technology breakthroughs. I think we need some key social breakthroughs to get us there. But I like to imagine what that target looks like. Where are we aiming? Are we aiming towards uh, a Mad Max dystopia? Are we aiming towards a Star Trek style uh, utopia or are somewhere in the middle? So let's talk about what this would look like. Let's say we get the right breaks. Let's say maybe we develop fusion technology in the next 25 to 50 years. Super abundant uh, source of energy that solve a lot of the world's power needs. It would also solve a lot of the world's uh, uh, nervousness about running out of drinking water because you could just run a fusion-powered uh, desalination plant by the ocean and you know essentially have limitless fresh water. It's super convenient that in my lifetime, fusion technology has always been 25 to 50 years away. And by the way, there's a reason for that. It's tied to funding and our lack of seriousness about it. But yeah, fusion. Fusion's definitely uh, a big part of the ticket here. We got to get the net zero carbon in the next 10 to 20 years. Maybe we can get a cheap and sustainable form of carbon sequestration tech going. Maybe we increase the education and encourage and support the liberation of women across the globe. Those two things, by the way, two of the biggest things that drive down the birth rate. Maybe we get lucky, and if we do those things, the global population stabilizes at around 10 billion people, which is a number I've seen thrown around a lot that takes into account the latest population trends. Uh, I've also seen various estimates that the Earth can feed approximately 15 billion people, so bonus. Uh, we, we got some headroom there. And I think, man, maybe if we can do all that... Maybe everyone on Earth has at least a guarantee to an education, to a reasonable living standard, to health care, to regular vacations, to owning their own homes. Maybe we can be there in 100 years. Shit, maybe we'll have space travel. Or we can start colonizing the solar system. Get all the expanse up in there. I want the asteroid series to be a badass frontier watering station. I want to see the Jovian moon Ganymede to be the breadbasket of the belt. I want to fucking see what humanity is capable of because I think our birthright is the stars. That's what I want. And I think we might well get it. But the only way we're going to is to get all of our best and brightest people working together on it. We can't exclude billions of people from this equation. 
We can't have people wasting their potential because they didn't get adequate access to mental health care. We can't have them stunted because their parents were poor and couldn't afford proper nutrition or education. We can't have them suicidal because they were born in a society that says they were bad and worthless just because of a difference in their biology or psychology. But I look at America and I think, what are we aiming for? Are we aiming for the deck of the USS Enterprise? Are we aiming for Mad Max's Australian hellscape? No, no offense to the Australians. Because I see in America, public school funding is tied to property taxes. So if you're born into a poor family, your educational outcomes are going to be so much worse than those born in areas with high property values, which greatly increases the chances that you're going to be poor yourself, which means your kids are going to go to shitty schools, which means they're much more likely to be poor. I see kids basically putting themselves into indentured servitude for 5, 10, 15, 20 years just to go to college. And since even entry-level jobs in many careers are requiring college, you pretty much have to. You can do everything right, work full-time your whole life, have health insurance, and still go bankrupt because of medical bills in this country. And why? Because you won some kind of reverse genetic fuck-you lottery? I've seen estimates as low as 4% and as high as 66% of bankruptcies filed each year due to medical debt or due to lost wages because of illness and injury. And let's assume it's just 5%. Are we cool that like one out of every 20 bankruptcies in America are due to medical reasons? I've seen reports that now up to 25% of bankruptcies are due to student loan debt. There's this concept um, that's, that, that comes across on the front page of Reddit, uh, the subreddit called a boring dystopia. And it's people sharing these supposedly heartwarming stories of kids selling their Xboxes, picking up cans, donating their own kidney just to help grandma live. People sit there and they go, oh, bless their heart. That's so heartwarming. It's, it's, these things are sh shared in like subreddits called uh, Humans Being Bros, for example. And I, think, I sit there and I think, am I the only one that thinks what kind of Oliver Twist, Great Expectations, Orphan Annie, Great Depression bullshit is this? In fact, let's look at the front page of the subreddit, A Boring Dystopia, on this Thursday afternoon, November 21st, 2019 AD. Let's see. I see an image of the Hong Kong police looking like Robocops in full body armor with a whole block full of young people handcuffed on their knees. I don't know. I think that's a pretty exciting dystopia there. Like, you know, you say what you will about Mad Max and Robocop. It shit happened. Uh, I'm seeing a brochure from a mortuary company coaching their employees on how to extract maximum profit from grieving families. Ah, here's one. Uh, an eight-year-old is making hero bags. He's made 3,000 of these things, these little Ziploc bags containing basic necessities, and he's handing them out to homeless veterans. He's helped over 3,000 so far. So incredibly sweet. What a kid. I'm looking at his picture, and he looks so proud. He's beaming, and he should be. But a fair way to read this headline could also be our veteran care is so bad in this country, people are relying on handouts from children. Let me scroll down a little bit more. Kristen Bell features a public school teacher on her Instagram profile on Friday and includes their Amazon wish list to help them get classroom supplies. And it got 100,000 likes. Amazing. People are so generous. I love Kristen Bell. I think she seems like a great lady. But why does a teacher have to hold fundraisers to get needed classroom supplies in this country, which I'm often told is the greatest country in the world, is the richest, most powerful country in the world? Let's see. One more. Again, this is this is the front page of a boring dystopia just from today. Uh, this is from Georgia, the peach states, not the country. 
A mom who planned to donate a kidney to her son was shot and killed by her estranged husband. Now the 13-year-old is using GoFundMe to find the organ he needs to survive. Holy fuck. I hope this kid is not the next Einstein because that's a whole lot of bootstrapping that he's going to have to pull himself up by just to 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 make it to some kind of normal, adjusted, successful, healthy uh, middle age. And I just look at these headlines and I look at how we've structured our society and I think, what a massive waste of human potential. How can this be not costing us more than we're saving by having all these half-assed patchwork systems in place? How can it possibly be worth it? And it's not like we're talking about even taking big risks, uh, implementing some of the policies I've outlined above. Some form of universal health care is in place in every other developed country in the world. There are many countries that provide freer, heavily subsidized education, even housing, smaller countries, less wealthy countries. So why are we doing it this way? Okay, so a lot of times when I talk to conservatives or even, you know, honestly, moderate uh, people, uh, centrist Democrats, you get a lot of standard objections and you see this playing out like if you watch the Democratic debates. Uh, First of all, how are we going to pay for this? Oh, my God. It's it sounds great to cover everybody. How in the world are we going to do it again? Never mind that the rest of the developed world is doing it this way. And yes, they have funding problems. Yes, there are some uh, temporary supplies and medical access. But you ask anybody from Britain, Canada, France, Germany, etc. Do they want to trade their system for ours? And everyone says, fuck no. So. Let's look at medical care. You know, we just signed up for insurance here at Bald Move. Uh, and I've had experience um, when I started several companies. I bought insurance off the private market. I've actually signed up for services through the AMA or Obamacare or healthcare.gov, whatever you want to call it. I spent a few years squatting on Cecily's insurance that she had through her full time employment with a different firm. But like I said, we just started our uh, insurance plan for our small business right here. And it cost us over $2,500 to cover all five members of the Baldmove family. We're all pretty young. We're all very healthy. We're non-smokers. Uh, and it's, it's $2,500 per month. And we have a $2,500 individual and $5,000 family deductible, which means if you're from another country that doesn't know what this means, is that we have to rack up $2,500 of individual or a collective $5,000 per family of expenses before we can expect the insurance to pay uh, 100% of the way. So add all that stuff up. And that doesn't include the co-payments we have on doctor's visits and medications, urgent care visits, ER room visits. We have another few hundred dollars a month that we spend on dental and vision. Vision insurance honestly kind of seems like a joke to me. It's more like a payment plan for eyeglasses and annual eye checkups, which, you know, that's that's nice, I guess. You know, pay a couple bucks a month and then every two years you can get your eyes checked out and you can get uh, a pair of subsidized frames. But I, I think myself, would our taxes really go up twenty five hundred dollars between the five of us if every American went on Medicare? I highly doubt it. Because everything that I see says that our pharmaceutical spending is out of control. I mean, you've seen all the headlines about EpiPens. You've seen uh, the headlines about insulin. I have two different cousins, one on Cecily's side, one on my side, that struggle month to month to pay the bills because they won the reverse shitty fuck you genetic lottery and they had childhood diabetes and they are depending on this insulin. And it's really fucking hard if you're lower class or middle class income levels to just afford an extra $1,000 a month 
let alone like if you want an insulin pump so you can kind of live a little independently and like you know be a little bit uh, hands off on that care and also seems kind of axiomatic to me that when it comes to a risk pool right making that pool wider and deeper leads to lower costs for everyone if everyone in the united states was covered under some kind of universal plan then all of our rates would be lower because it wouldn't just be the people, you know, right now we have a lot of healthy people rolling the dice and take a gamble that they don't need insurance because they want to spend $500 a month. I was one of those people. Jim was one of those people until we got a plan put in place uh, for Bald Move. It's crazy. Like Bald Move could have been killed in its cradle if either one of us had gotten injured in the last 10 years. It's insane. We spend more per capita on healthcare than any other nation in the world, but we're not rated the best in terms of overall healthcare or medical outcomes, and we're really falling behind when it comes to infant survival. And don't take my word for it. Check all this stuff for yourself. Check to see how much we're spending on healthcare versus our outcomes. Uh, check to see how we're doing with the re- uh, in competition with the rest of the developed worlds. We're spending more. We should be the top of a category or two, right? But in reality, we actually only lead one category, which is if you are wealthy and you have some kind of crazy exotic problem, you will get world-class access and world-class healthcare. Everybody else, it's a roll of the dice, but if you have the money to pay for it, we do have the best healthcare on the planet. It's just a very few people have access to that, that level of care, and it costs a lot of money to treat it that way. So that's one way we can pay for it, by combining all of our risks and our assets into one pool and uh, saving that way. I also, um, and this is a touch, touchy subject, but we need to cut back on military spending. I know this is controversial because I'm still smarting from the last ass lashing I got when I talked about this on Facebook for my friends and family. But before I get into this real controversy, I want to read something a little light, a quote by Karl Marx, you know, this totally non-controversial historical figure. Every gun that is made, every warship launched, every rocket fired signifies in the final sense a theft from those who hunger and are not fed, those who are cold and not clothed. This world in arms is not spending money alone. It's spending the sweat of its laborers, the genius of its scientists, the hopes of its children. The cost of one modern heavy bomber is this, a modern brick school in more than 30 cities. It's two electric power plants, each serving a town of 60,000. It's two fine, fully equipped hospitals. It's some 50 miles of concrete pavement. We pay for a single fighter with a half million bushels of wheat. We pay for a single destroyer with new homes that could have housed more than 8,000 people. This is not a way of life at all, in any true sense. Under the cloud of threatening war, it is humanity hanging from a cross of iron. Oh wait, my bad, that wasn't Karl Marx, it was Dwight D. Eisenhower. He delivered this presidential address three months after he took office in 1953. Ike was concerned that this enormous peacetime spending that started in World War II and never stopped, peacetime spending, is, was going to destroy us all, was going to put us in this arms race that was going to make us all impoverished and immiserated. And the spending hasn't stopped. And it's kind of crazy when you think about it. Now, at this point, I like to point out that I'm actually pretty patriotic. You can believe me or not. You can blame my dad for being a corpsman. You can blame me for reading too much Tom Clancy growing up. But I, I'm one of those types that gets choked up during the national anthem. Uh, I'm actually proud of America, warts and all, because we've done a lot of bad shit, but we're also, I think, kind of leading the experiment in how to work together. 
I love going to air shows. They're super fucking cool. They have these cool biplanes, and I like seeing the heritage flights where they get into a bunch of different classic warplanes from different generations, World War II and the Korean War and the Vietnam War and like an F-16, and they're all flying in formation together. And it's kind of crazy to see these prop planes and these these jet planes kind of uh, tooling around. And then when they do the missing man formation where the fighter's getting like a, a, a wing formation and one of the planes just kind of pulls off straight into the sky until it disappears... It's a real fucking moment, and, and I hit that. I feel all that sacrifice that's that's happened over the years. But my absolute favorite part is when some Air Force recruiter takes to the the grandstand, and he's got his beret and his mirrored sunglasses, and he starts in his, his routine. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce to you your F twenty two, and then. Sh- this fucker rips overhead. It's like a hundred feet off the deck. It's just barely subsonic and it's got its afterburners lit and it's so fucking loud. It shakes your goddamn lungs and you never see or hear it coming until it's all over and done with. And then the air force guys all like the Lockheed Martin F 22 Raptor is a fifth generation, single seat, twin engine, all weather stealth, tactical fighter aircraft designed for air superiority. The Raptor boasts impressive ground attack, electronic warfare and signal intelligent capabilities. The F-22 is projected to dominate all current and foreseeable foreign threats and is a vital piece of America's arsenal of freedom. And the whole time, the people are just losing their shit. And this fucking thing is defying the very laws of physics. It's just tear-assing through the sky. It's incredible. When it banks at its maximum maneuvering limit, which the Air Force guy will let everyone know, is actually three times greater, but would pulp the pilot if it performs to its maximum performance. It actually makes these clouds and shit spontaneously form from all of the sharp surfaces and radar reflective details. Like the air itself is like, whoa, buddy, wait a minute, get back here. Or like when the Blue Angels come in and they start up with their shit, it's just ludicrous the capabilities we have. But now that we have our freedom boners fully engorged, and I've confessed just how fucking badass and impressive and awesome and amazing this all is, realize that the F-22 is just part of the world's largest, most powerful air force, the United States Air Force. Do you want to know the second largest, most powerful air force in the whole fucking world? It's the United States Navy. Do you want to know the third most powerful, largest air force in the world? It's the United States Army. A single Ohio-class missile submarine, if it were a nation unto itself, would be the world's fourth largest nuclear power. A single carrier strike force, including a supercarrier, a couple of attack subs, a few destroyers and cruisers, support ships, no biggie, would be by itself the ninth largest navy in the world. We have 11. There are 20 aircraft carriers in the world. As I said, we have 11, and ours are substantially larger and more powerful than the next nine. In fact, we have 15 ships that launch aircraft that any other nation in the world would call aircraft carriers, but we call them amphibious assault ships. And if these were included, the numbers would be even more crazy bonkers. Only two other countries in the whole world have more than two aircraft carriers. The United States owns a third of all military satellites in the world. Our military spending is greater than the next eight countries in the top 10 combined. Out of the entire military spending on this planet Earth, the U.S. accounts for 34% of it. Now, I think there's an honest debate to be had about how much military spending we should have. And we should absolutely take care of our troops. The fact that we're all America, fuck yeah, when it comes to the boom, boom and ass kicking. But when the VA needs fundings, we're like, yeesh, yikes, woof, woof, that shit's expensive. We got how many wounded vets? How many of these guys are suffering from PTSD? 
yeah, we're going to need you guys and gals to kind of like not be traumatized. And there is an honest debate to be had here. But I'm really skeptical that the current rate of spending is where it needs to be. And the people that say it needs to be increased for America to be taken seriously on the world stage, it's going to be a hard sell for me because this Air Force guy did a really fucking good job of saying that not only are we kicking ass now, we got like a 50-year technological uh, edge on everybody. Like we can take our foot off the gas a little bit, I think. And worse, I think having this massive, muscular, capable military, as badass and awesome as it is, is a constant temptation to use it. And it's gotten us into a series of ill-advised wars that are now older than the 18-year-old recruits we're shipping overseas to fight them. We've got these tanks and these carriers and two million plus soldiers, and they're literally burning a hole in our pocket. And lastly, we got to raise taxes. We'll all probably have to pay more, sure, but the wealthy should absolutely shoulder most of that burden. And and think about, we're not just going to raise taxes, it's going to go poof. We talked about, you know, the things we're going to get from it, the things I think will actually make our lives better. But I think there's a few caveats here before we have an, an, an honest conversation about taxes. I see this dirty trick being played, which is trying to play the professional classes against the so-called blue-collar classes and the working poor. Uh, lawyers, doctors, dentists, engineers, developers, writers, they all end up aligning with the interest of billionaires because they think they have more in common with them than a school janitor. One thing I've come to realize is that the real divide is between labor, which is the people who make their money by literally selling their time on earth, and capital, which are the people who don't. Lawyers, engineers, doctors, dentists, software developers, we're all laborers, and we have far more in common with a dock worker, a construction worker, a plumber than you do with Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, etc. But they have an economic interest in you pulling their weight for them because they're not very many of them. They need people that are making a couple hundred thousand dollars, might have a net worth of a million or two, to think that they're threatened the same way that the billionaires are when Bernie Sanders comes and wants to have Medicare for all. Now, a common refrain you'll hear is something like, well, Jeff Bezos doesn't even have $100 billion. It's all tied up in Amazon stock. If he, if he, if he tried to liquidate that, uh, the Amazon stock would crash and he'd have zero money. And, and even if he did have $100 billion, if we taxed him all at 100% of his net worth, well, you'd finance health care for like, what, one year, maybe two, and then what? What are you going to do then? What happens when you run out of billionaires? And this is the reason that I'm not a socialist. Uh, because there is absolutely some truth to that. But here's the deal. You don't just tax Jeff Bezos at some crazy high rate to raise revenues, although that is one of the goals and one of the positives. You also do it to prevent billionaires. Yeah, prevent billionaires. Why does someone need a billion dollars? Why does anyone deserve a billion dollars? A billion dollars in the hands of a single person warps everything around them. It's like an economic black hole. It warps politics. It warps morality. It warps ethics. It warps the person with the billion dollars. Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, they have $100 billion. Billionaires buy public policy. The Supreme Court has ruled that money is free speech. So great, we're on this path where we can't prevent billionaires from injecting massive amounts of money into the political process. And if we let them do this, they'll become trillionaires while we get all poorer and more wretched. And for what? For what? What would a tri could a trillionaire do better than a billionaire can't? 
I mean, this is what's going to happen. Is there a good defense for why we need billionaires? I would honestly like to hear it because I've looked around and I haven't seen one. If we were living in the zombie apocalypse and we had a camp where some people were starving, some people were getting by with a struggle, some people were comfortable, but one or two people had like a billion cans of beans, what would the Rick Grimes and Daryl Dixon's of the world do? Would we all just cluck our tongues and say, well, you know, that guy earned his beans. Don't be jealous. You go out there and find your own beans. You can't take those beans. That's theft. What kind of amoral asshole just steals a man's beans? He's got a billion of them and he earned those billion beans. And I, I think like we're not in the zombie apocalypse, but how is that actually different than the life we're living? And I don't think I'm an extremist. I think that people should have a reward for working hard. I think there are people with drive, ambition, talent. They're absolutely force multipliers for wealth. And living in the system we do, I hope I'm better off than I am right now because I know that's the key to making sure my son has a better life. I know that's the best guarantee I have that no one will be able to take my freedom, that no one will, that I won't die poor and I won't, I won't die of some treatable, treatable disease or I won't die at the age of 55 instead of like, I don't know, what am I hoping for here? 85, 90, is that a pipe dream? Is that a pipe dream? I've lost my hair. Am I, am I going to make it to 70? Uh, but, but a billion dollars? I don't know. I would like to hear a good argument for the morality and ethics for allowing billionaires to exist. I'd like to hear it. Send it in to 3RT at SwizzBold.com. Speaking of 3RT at SwizzBold.com, like I said, I got a lot of great email in the last two weeks. Uh, and I got one pretty vicious one. And I'm going to read it in full because this is the last time I'm going to do it. Well, second to last time. I think if this podcast finds an audience that it's inevitable that I'll get the dark counterpoint to this email I'm about to read. Uh, the commie, tanky, Soviet apologist LARPer. The kind of person who will quibble about, well, Stalin mean to kill millions through starvation, or was it an accident, or maybe it's Western propaganda, or hey, maybe those damn kulaks deserved it. These people exist. I've seen them. They hold almost zero political or social power, especially here in America, so I'm not super worried about them. Uh, the types that fly unironically, the sickle and hammer, the scratch a liberal and Nazi bleeds types. Uh, the even liberals get the bullet types. And if, or more likely when I get one, just for balance, I'll read that too. But I always had this idea that I would, I would read a bad faith email when I get one, just to illustrate the difference between the good and bad faith I was talking about last week for those who might not be able to tell the difference. Uh, this is from a guy who called himself Fruit Basket Gazer. I get these emails at Bald Move fairly regularly and I assume this guy is an ass pain former bald move fan because I literally got this thing in my inbox coming in hot less than 24 hours after my first episode of three right turns was released I stress this is a real unedited email and I will add my commentary from fruit basket gazer subject a wake-up call you need to hear you need to stop immediately you are insufferable, self-loathing idiot. Believe me, you are as rude as it gets, so don't act tough and take your ball and go home. Literally everything you said is dangerous and wrong. Can't you see you are pandering to the leftist movement? Uh, fruit basket, I'm, I'm actually not. If I wanted to pander to the online left, it's really super easy to do so. I just talked about like ways I could do it. I could. This podcast logo could be red with the yellow hammer and sickle flying proudly. I'd probably call it something like the Central Committee or the People's Podcast. It'd probably have some dubstep sample of the Soviet anthem. Uh, you know, it's 
kind of super easy to pander to hardcore leftists, but that's absolutely not what I want to do because I don't want a bunch of those tanky commie LARPers in this community. All right. Fuck all that. We very well might need some more socialism in this country because this country's already got socialism. It's got the social security. It's got Medicare. It's got Medicaid. It's got other, you know, you get free kidney dialysis for some random reason because Nixon felt sorry for people with bad kidneys or something. Uh, but we absolutely don't need authoritarian socialism. And one thing I love to explore in this podcast is how and if that would be possible. But one of the things I've learned to appreciate is that Americans, uh, you yourself included, Fruit Basket, have a somewhat lopsided view of politics. A lot of times we just talk in terms of conservatives and liberals, which represent right wing and center right wing perspectives. Sometimes libertarians make the news. I've certainly voted for my fair share of them back when I lived in Indiana because I'd like to be I like to be independent. I like to be a free thinker. Yeah, if, uh, you know, uh, Indiana is going to be carried by 30 points by whatever Republican president, I'm going to roll my dice on Gary Johnson and uh, see what he can do for us with his 0.5% of the vote. But there's almost zero presence of a true left in this country. Bernie Sanders is on the very rightmost fringe of leftist politics, you know, when you get into socialist, communist, various, various forms of anarchists. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but the largest one is a very successful propaganda war against leftists that went on during the Cold War. Also, many leftists were part of the civil rights struggle and the anti-war movement in the 60s and 70s, and that Red Scare propaganda was very easily adapted to discredit the work of these men and women. Consider just a record of Martin Luther King Jr. In the late 1940s, while still in seminary school, King wrote that capitalism has seen its best days in America. Not only in America, but the entire world. It's failed to meet the needs of the masses. In 1952, King wrote to his then-future wife Coretta, I'm much more socialistic in my economic theory than capitalistic, also saying, I would certainly welcome the day to come when there will be a nationalization of industry. In 1966, at a retreat for the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, King said something is wrong with capitalism and argued that there must be a move towards democratic socialism. Now, as I mentioned, I'm to the right of uh, Dr. King here economically. I'm deeply skeptical of nationalizing industries. I think there's a good case for healthcare, uh, utilities, infrastructure, things like that where market forces don't work or they work in fundamentally unfair ways. I guess I'm more of a a harness the incredible power of markets to utilize resources most efficiently and generate wealth and then redistribute that wealth so that everyone in society can live a decent life with dignity kind of guy. So pandering to the left, get out of here. Fruit Basket Gazer continues, you're not a man either. Men are in shape, not fat, homeless looking slobs and have confidence not to hide behind a beard. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Harsh words, Fruit Basket Gazer. If you know the psychology, men, in scare quotes, fake ones, hide their insecurity behind beards because they're ashamed of their lives, their looks, and their worth. I, 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 don't, I don't know about this psychology. I, I didn't know that there's a psychology that suggests that a masculine face in its natural state indicates shame uh, and a lack of self-worth. I'm sure my Germanic barbarian ancestors would be super intrigued to hear your theories on that matter. You even admit that you're uneducated, and that's a problem. Know your place, Rube. You dish plenty of hateful speech, so you need to hear this. Hey, I'm not going to claim that everything I've ever said to conservatives online or elsewhere has been well thought out or even the most polite, civil, pray thee, sir, consider your words and actions, what you are about kind of stuff. But man, I would love to see your educational background so we can compare and contrast our experience because you're not giving me a lot to go on here. 
You have been conditioned to give up what put you initially on the shoulder of the right path. Let's get it. Those three right turns right there. Whereas now you are 20 miles down a ditch with the intelligence of inbred stevedores. This idea that everyone and their ideas are equal and the socialist communist viewpoint you keep pushing is scary, dangerous and wrong. are, Are all men not created equal? Is this not a self-evident American truth anymore? This is what losers say who don't want a merit-based society. Is, is that what we're living in? A meritocracy? What did the kids living in Flint, Michigan do to merit having their water poisoned by lead? What do poor kids growing up in impoverished communities do to merit having shitty schools with shitty nutrition? Where and how did wealthy people make their money? Where did they get the land their factories are on? Who owned the oil that got pumped out of the ground? How many of these people are self-made? How many inherited their wealth? How many of these so-called self-made millionaires and billionaires were a few dicey calls that could have gone either way and led to destitution? I remember my employee training at FedEx when I was 18, where a guy who'd been at FedEx for 20 years and was one of their trainers told in hushed tones all of us trainees, the legend of Fred Smith, founder of the company who took, and I swear to God, I am not making this up. Look it up for yourself. He took the company's payroll to Vegas before it failed and played blackjack and over a weekend quadrupled his money and saved the company. Is that the meritocracy we're talking about? Because I remember going through that training and then a few weeks later, I was in a, a doctor's office with this big spread in some magazine with the headline, what can CEOs learn from FedEx? Like, what the fuck? Just admit you want handouts because of your horrible podcasting of dumb, dorky shows aren't paying you a realistic amount. You want acceptance, right? Accept those who are smarter, make more money, and are healthier than you. But why would I do that, Fruit Basket Gazer? If I was dissatisfied by what I was making in podcasting, I'd probably just call up my friends and old contacts in the IT world, and I'd go back to making six figures. Now, maybe they'd be hesitant because, admittedly, I've been out of the game for a while, but I'd make them a deal. I'd say... Put me on your shittiest project with your most difficult customer and give me a starting salary of, I don't know, 50K a year, which, by the way, after working my ass off and being debt free and living in the Midwest is all I really need to make to survive. And after three months, we'll negotiate. And you know what? It would work because I was actually incredible at what I did. And I'd have a sweet life unless I went blind, unless Cecily got cancer, unless I got crippled in an accident. Unless my kid got some kind of childhood disease or diabetes, unless my father's health goes downhill and I have to take a lot of time off to care for him and incur expenses on his behalf. I mean, what kind of fucked up meritocracy is this that you're advocating for? What you are doing is acting authoritarian with draconian views and come off like a cocky asshole. I mean, yeah, like I said, I, I copped the bragging last episode, but look at what you did. I made this compelling case about how I was a quote-unquote real man and demanded to know what I needed to do to be a real man in your eyes. And apparently, the answer is, shave off my beard and drop 20 pounds, and then I'd be a real man, and you, what, have to take me seriously? Is being a real man that fucking easy? So even with all my cocky asshole bragging, I got you in my inbox like five minutes after I dropped my podcast with this? I could go on and on that you have said the reinforcement of the problem for every view. It is clear that you have major guilt in your life of how you view women and race and have no absolute truth to base your own. I mean, honestly, this whole thing about white guilt, white shame, it really just centers the problem entirely too much around white people and our feelings. 
I'm not guilty, fruit basket gazer. I'm not ashamed. I just want to be part of the process of figuring this shit out because nobody out there has some kind of silver bullet solution for universal equality. I just know it won't come from denying the existence of inequality or wringing our hands about our feelings or telling certain types of people to get in line and wait for their freedom so some larger or more important goal can be accomplished. It's just not going to happen. Fruit Baskin continues, when there are 42 genders and you can just be what you want and when you want along with the women's power movement, which are trends that cripple men in society. Okay, here we go. You could have sent an email saying, gee whiz, Aaron, I see a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense to me. What about this 42 genders? What's up with that? And we could have had an actual conversation about chromosomes and presentation and personal expression because I promise you this stuff isn't as crazy as you make it out. You know what? It's like you've heard the phrase that like Inuits had like 42 words for snow. I mean, that seems like crazy, right? You got snow and you got not snow. <laughs> what a bunch of dumbasses. But you know what? If you live 99% of your life on snow and ice, those fine details are pretty fucking important. Maybe you need a word for snow that's hard-packed and safe to work on. Maybe you need a word for snow that has just the right moisture levels and texture for packing and building a nice, stable shelter. Maybe you need a word for that kind of squeaky snow that might spoil a hunt when you walk on it. Maybe you need a special word for yellow snow because, hell, it's funny and jokes and humor are important. Once you open your mind to the idea that a man might love another man or a woman might feel more comfortable as a man or that some people might think it's bullshit to have to conform to any kind of rigid gender role, then you might need a few more words to describe what kind of person you are. I mean, just in terms of dating alone, which I think this and social media is where a lot of this stuff comes from, you can be butch or femme or asexual or dominant or submissive or, or switch and everyone's got preferences along those lines and there's nothing wrong with that. And you can kind of like try to figure out what people are or you can kind of invent new genders to deal with this reality of how different people are. And when I say invent, what I'm really saying is categorize that which is already present. I mean, you can find binary categorizations all over the place. Uh, animal, not animal. What more do we need? What more do we need? Oh, we need mammal and we need amphibian and we need fish. Is fish really different from amphibian? Like what? 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 Are, what is there like a million different species of things we got to categorize here? Like there's not. This is a thing that we do. We find distinctions between things and we come up with terms to call them. You're just freaking out because you think there can only be man and woman, and that's where the conversation begins and ends. And maybe that's true for you, but why do you care about enforcing that on everybody else? Like, maybe animal, not animal is good enough for you, but Charles Darwin wants to get out here and figure out what's going on with these finches' beaks, all right, and stay out of his way. But I will grant that if you're not out there walking in the frozen tundras of the wide world of human sexual and gender expression, it all looks like snow, and I get that. But as I've illustrated, the reality is a lot more complex and a lot less silly than you're trying to make it. Now, as far as women's power movement... I don't know what to tell you, Fruit Basket Gazer. I'm a male feminist, and I... Let me check. Yep, yep, balls still down there. Still using them on a regular basis. Haven't had shrieking harpies to send on me to rip them off. I mean, you can certainly find radical feminists out there that make a show of some sort of about this kind of stuff. If you only look at the most extreme viewpoints, that have very little social currency in the overall movement. And if you really uncharitably interpret their words. But I wonder what would happen if I applied those same standards to conservative movements. I wonder. Fruit Baskin continues. If you can't see that you are destined for continued unhappiness and misery and that lost direction feeling that enjoy every minute of it and don't complain. But I, I, 
I don't feel lost. I, I feel happy. I, I thought I made that pretty clear in the last podcast. I mean, I get down sometimes, but I've also built a pretty good tool set to help get me out of those places and those situations. And I've got friends and family that love and support me. Let it be known that you are doing the opposite of what you should be doing and should shut your uneducated mouth. You deserve to go down in bankruptcy. Wow. And your family should be scared of you. Wow, wow, wow. That kid you have is doomed for failure. CPS should be called to save any life it could still have. Woo-hoo! That's, that's a spicy take. Holy shit, coming after my kid. You are no better than your mother who clearly knew more than you. Yes, yes. My mother, the deluded, mentally ill cultist, knows better than me. I mean, she'd be the first to agree with you, so you got that. And... I just want to take a step back to point out that the only reason that you have these vicious weapons to come at me with is because I've tried really hard to live a life online of transparency and honesty. And you, an anonymous dude who I know nothing about other than you absolutely loathe and hate me and you wish me destitution and institutionalization of me and my whole family are trying to conduct some half-assed asymmetrical guerrilla warfare in my inbox as a way of discouraging my participation in the body politic. And it's not going to work for several reasons. One, I got a lot of positive feedback on my last podcast, probably 30 to 1. I got two or three people who said, hey, I hear you. I'm concerned about this stuff, but I'm also concerned about how much my tax bill will go up. I'm concerned with uh, the concept of perverse incentives. I've seen these stats and figures and they don't add up in my head. And I expect that because a lot of what I'm talking about on this podcast is pretty out there by American standards. And I'm prepared to have these conversations. I'm pretty sure without knowing anything other than this message and its construction that I could hurl a bunch of probably pretty close to the truth accusations about your life and your feelings and your intellect. But that's not what I want to do, Fruit Basket Gazer. I want to help. I want to connect. It's very clear to me that you're angry and you're afraid and that's no way to live. It's a burden emotionally and intellectually to think this little of your fellow man. By the way, I'm quad gendered from the fifth dimension of Venus. So I demand your tolerance or you are an intolerant bigot. Um, Number one, Google the paradox of intolerance. Uh, Number two... I love to hear expressions as a quad-gendered, dimensionally privileged Venetian and how that's held you back in society because I'm not a reactionary and I'm capable of giving people a fair hearing. But I doubt you could actually do that because you heard that one joke 15 years ago about identifying as an Apache helicopter and it's literally all you have to say about the issue. I'm part of a protected class, white boy. Oh, and you're a racist prick, too, since everyone is. You owe a 45% tax to me and everyone you encounter since it's for the betterment of the whole. 45% kind of low. Kind of low for being honest, Fruit Basket Gazer. You need to walk the walk, buddy boy. All this makes sense based on your view, so swim in the logic and clarity. Signed, you're conscious with you at every turn. Okay, so that's feedback. Uh, again, don't think that this is representative of what I got. I got a lot of great messages. Maybe I should have led with those, but I kind of want to get this out of the way. So I never have to do it again, or I guess only one more time. Uh, if you want to come at me, let's keep it to a single topic. Maybe try to speak to each other as human beings. Cause I'm not going to truck with people who see people as subhuman and they're going to come after me and my family crazy like that. Now I have ideas for several more podcasts, but as always, I'd love to hear what you would like to hear. You want to talk about national defense spending, the right of billionaires to have billions, the economics of healthcare, how this whole fifth dimensional quad gendered Venetian thing works. I'm here. Three RT, the number three RT at baldmove.com. 
Uh, please like and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Please follow us at SwizzBold on all the social medias. I know Cecily and I have lots of fun plans for Instagram and YouTube in the, in the coming new year, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you can also follow me at Aaron Hubbard BM on Twitter. And check out Cecily and I's podcast, One Weird Trick. We'll have a new episode of One Weird Trick this time next week. And the week after, I shall return with another Three Right Turns. Hope everyone has a great week. Shout out to all my Star Trek Republicans out there. Live long and prosper. 